Welcome to Oaks Church, where we grow great lives and build big people. Thank you for checking out our podcast. We hope that you're encouraged by this life-changing message from Pastor Joel Scrivener. For more information, visit us online at oakschurch.com or follow us on social media at Oaks Church Texas. Uh, but it's great to be with you today, whether it's great to be in the room. It's great to see all of you online. Thank you for joining us today. But today I want to talk about what life is all about. What life is all about. And if we're going to go to such a profound question, it might sound like it's philosophical. It might sound like we could find out from a poet or a great musician. But if we're going to find out what life is all about, I think we should go to the source of life, to go to Jesus. And what did Jesus say what life was all about? And I love when Jesus would teach in Scripture over and over and over, it would say that he taught with one with real authority. Someone who knew what he was talking about, knew who he was talking about. It wasn't about a position or a title or being a rabbi or being ordained. It was he knew who he was talking about. And like anyone else that lives a life of excellence, there was people that were jealous. People that didn't like him. Mainly the two religious groups. But today I want to open up in scripture and then we'll pray and get started. But Matthew 22 verse 34 says this, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. And one of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Okay, time out. There are two main religious groups in this day. There's the Sadducees, and then there's the Pharisees. The Sadducees believe there is no resurrection, there is no life after death, there are no angels, there are no spirits, but the Pharisees, on the other hand, believe in all of these things. And they had a lot of rules to follow. They had a lot of laws to follow. They had 613 laws that they kept. They had 365 negative rules, one for every day of the year, and then they had 248 positive rules that they lived by. 613 total, so they come to Jesus trying to trap him. This is the biggest controversy, is what is the most important one? So Jesus says in verse 37, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. But a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Today could be a reminder, it could be a refresher, it might be revelatory, but life is all about loving God, it's all about loving people, and if you do those two things, you'll win in life. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we love you, God. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your presence. Lord, I pray that as I speak to the outside, that you're speaking to the inside of people, that you open our hearts, that you open our spirits, that you open our ears to your word, that you transform us, that you guide us, and we leave here better than the way that we came in. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Tiffany. Don't you guys love having an awesome worship leader like Tiffany, by the way? Hey, have you ever overcomplicated something? Be honest. 
maybe it was mentally, physically, spiritually, and you just went a little bit too far in your head, and you went three years down the road. Like, this is going to happen if I do this. I have gone um, too far in this area in a couple ways where I overcomplicate something, and I know I am a man, but I am not handy at all. Uh, you would not want me to put anything together. This is so embarrassing, right? Like, this should be in part of the man handbook. Um, but that's why I got manly friends like Miguel that can come over and do what I need uh, to get done at my house. But I remember about eight years ago, I was newly married. Uh, me and Angel lived in an apartment in Las Colinas. It was ginormous. It was 761 square feet you can make it from one side to the other in 3.8 seconds. We felt like a Ferrari uh, every time we walked in our apartment. Uh, you can make some serious ground. But I remember we started to decorate and didn't have much of a budget to do anything. Uh, but we've always, we had some nice taste. And I remember we went to Crate and Barrel, and there was hardly anything that we could afford in there at time. But we found this bookcase, and it was like over $1,000 cheaper than every other bookcase that they had. And we said, we'll take that one. We put it in my Do white Dodge Stratus box hanging out the window on George Bush, driving home to Las Colinas. Got the box, took it up three floors of stairs, went to our apartment. And if you may or may not know this about me and Angel, but we are get it done now type of people. We unpack our whole house whenever we move in two to three days. It's a little bit obsessive probably not that healthy, but that's what we do. We can't rest until it's done. But we got home, and in my mind, I'm like, well, maybe we'll put it together tomorrow. But that night, Angel's like, hey, let's just put it together. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. And I said in my mind, this is my chance to show her what a manly man I am. <laughs> Keep in mind, I'd never put a, any piece of furniture together in my whole life. And we, un we unpack, we get the instructions, and I'm reading this in the instructions. I know it's supposed to be so easy. You do one, you do two, you do three. But when I read those instructions, all I saw was a cryptic Latin language. And I'm like, man, like, yeah, but I didn't tell anything. I didn't say anything. I tried not to show myself. And I started to do one piece and two piece, and I started to put the thing on backwards. And Angel Saul came to my rescue and said, you know what? Let me do it. <laughs> and I've been letting her do it for eight years now. And I play dumb, just like she plays dumb with electronics. She said, how do you turn this thing on, right? We all play dumb in a, little, in a few areas in our life. We might overcomplicate things. I think a very common way that a lot of us overcomplicate something is relationships. When I was single, uh, a much lonelier, sadder life pre-angel, Pastor Joel and Jen uh, knew me then, and I, I'd get a crush on a girl or, or start liking somebody, and I would not, I was pretty serious. I would not even date somebody unless I thought they were marriage material. That, that's a little bit uh, Pharisee material, but that's how I lived my life. And because of that, I didn't make a lot of relationship decisions or bad relationship decisions. But I remember I would overcomplicate my head, and I'd wonder, hey, I wonder if she's a good girl for me. I wonder if she's the right one. And I would overanalyze. And then I remember when I met Angel, and I started dating her. And I was three weeks in, and I said, oh, that was easy. That's her. 
That's her. And, and I stopped overcomplicating something in that so many of us can make complicated. I've counseled and met with a lot of young people and young uh, people that start to like somebody and they'll go, Brandon, Brandon, let me tell you about this person. And they'll go on and on and on about how amazing this person is, how easy the connection is, how easy they are to talk to. Say, Brandon, you got to beat this person. I say, okay. And I'll ask them one question. Are they a Christian? Well, Brandon, I don't know. (laughs) It says on Facebook that they're a Christian. But we never actually talked about Jesus. I said, let's make this easy. Do they love Jesus more than they love you? Do they have a home church? Do they tithe? Do they have a small group? Are they invested in that? And we'll go on and on and on and make something easy that most people make complicated. It's simple, but we make life complicated. Life is the same way. Jesus hears their complicated question with over 600 options. They give him the Cheesecake Factory menu and they say, Jesus, pick something. And Jesus said, guys, it's easy. It's just two things. One, love God. The second thing, equally important, love people. As complicated as life seems sometimes, see, it's actually simple at all times. Life is all about loving God, loving people, and if you do these two things, you've done all things. What is loving God? Loving God is simply two things. Number one, it's just love. I want you to think back to when you fell in love for the first time or when you fell in love with your spouse That's the safer one to think about if you're sitting next to your spouse. And you think about what, how you always wanted to be around them. You would text or call them so much. You'd always want to be in their presence. You would just want to be with them. And whenever you left them, you just wanted to be with them again. But then there's the second stage of love, which so many of you married people know. And it's choosing to serve them. It's choosing their way over your way. In Christianity, we call this obedience. When I really want to do something and I think I know what's right, but God's ways are totally different than my ways. And the way that I express my love to God in that area is I choose his way, even though I don't want to do his way. Little things in marriage, like listening, like serving, like doing the dishes, doing the laundry, the whole laundry list, You know how it goes. But selfish just means I love me. But selfless means I love you just as much as I love myself. So do you crave time with God? Is it like eating to you? The reason I say eating is Jesus very plainly said that he is the bread of life. And I've made a decision in my life that before I eat, I'm going to spend time with God. Even if it's a small amount of time, he's the first thing that I have, the first person that I have to be with, the first thing that I have to do. The first humans, Adam and Eve, scripture says in Genesis that they walked with God, that they walked with God in the cool of the day, in the perfect place 
on earth in Garden of Eden. Imagine leaving church after this and going to lunch and hanging out with God for the rest of the day. That's Adam and Eve's life. But most of you know the story. They sinned. They were banished from the Garden of Eden. And God left them. And there's actually ancient documents. I didn't know this till a number of years ago. There's ancient documents written by their kids that said that Adam and Eve would go into caves in deep isolation for days in deep depression. That they would go days without eating because they didn't have what they used to have. They didn't have that relationship with God like they used to have. They had 33 kids, tradition tells us. Adam lived 930 years, plenty of time to document things like this. Think about the food that you eat most of the time. When I was younger, I had grand taste. I loved McDonald's. Like loved McDonald's. I would think about McDonald's. I would think about the quarter pounder with cheese, no onions, fries, and probably a high C because I was seven. I wasn't ready for that Sprite and Coke game quite yet. But I would, my mom would take me there after basketball practice, and some of you remember that message from a couple months ago where I showed you the glorious days of Brandon's basketball career uh, a long time ago. But I'd always look forward to that meal. I remember my first job was Chick-fil-A. I was 14 years old. Every single shift we got a free meal and I looked forward to it. I still remember the dude that was very entitled and he took three meals home and he never came back to Chick-fil-A again, right? And I had just a simple taste. But 15, 20 years go by and have you ever had a real steak like a filet mignon and you go to Bob's or you go to Capitol Grill or you go to Three Forks and you have a real piece of meat and everything changes. You start to make sounds from your mouth. When I really like something, I start to shake the fork. I'm like, mmm, like this is good. Like Angel's just waiting. Does he like it or does he not? Let me wait to see that fork shake. Like any of those things. Do you like it? I, I can't eat payway anymore now that I've had finer Asian food. Why? I've had the real thing now. It's the same thing with Adam and Eve. They had the real thing and everything paled in comparison. God's presence is more satisfying than anything that you can ever feel or experience. Someone recently came to Oaks and they were talking to one of our pastors and they said, I've been to so many churches in the last five years. I've been in churches in different states. But then I came here this morning and I felt God's presence in a way that I haven't felt in any church in five years. He said, because of that, this is my home church. Is God in a lot of churches? Of course. Is he in all the churches? Unfortunately, no. But when you make the main thing the main thing, he will show up. He is the main thing. His presence is what we crave. His fruit is what we want to produce. So go deep with God. The great preacher and revivalist D.L. Moody once said, the, Lord has, excuse me, the world has yet to see what God will do with and for and through and in and by the man who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. 
I love this next quote by Rolf Bernard, and he takes this thought a little bit further. It's very convicting. He said, one of these days, someone is going to come along and pick up a Bible and believe it and put the rest of us to shame. What if we really took the Bible at its word? In Joshua 3.5, Joshua assumes the leadership from the powerful leader, Moses, and the day before they go into the promised land, he says to the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. You know, we don't use that word hardly ever. Think about the last time you said consecration. <laughs> if you have ever said it, you did not use this word as you watched the Cowboys lose another game. You did not use this word on Thanksgiving with friends and family. We rarely use this word. Consecration is an ancient word that never made its way into modern day conversation. But all it means is to make or declare sacred, to dedicate formally to a divine purpose. It reminds me of what we did this morning as children were dedicated to the Lord, that you dedicated your kids to a divine purpose, to God. It essentially means to set yourself apart. Sounds a whole lot like social distancing to me. Sounds a whole lot like this COVID mess we've been walking through. To set yourself apart. Put six feet of distance in between you and every other person. Don't let anything else contaminate you. Set yourself apart. You've been consecrating yourself this whole year, and you didn't even know it. <laughs> in the same way, you've been set apart. God is calling you. You know you have a unique and divine role to play in this story, in, in this history on earth. You're not like everyone else. And at the same time, here's the hard part, that means that you can't do what everybody else does. If you have ordinary habits, you will not have an extraordinary life. You're gonna have to do different things to get a different result than everybody else is doing. I've had seasons in my life where there is a consecrated season, where I am spending more time with God. And not every season is like this. How many of you know we're here, we are in the world. We're not of the world, but we need to reach people. We need to expand God's kingdom. We need to be out with the people. I remember a number of years ago, I was having a conversation with my dad, and we were talking about Jesus and his ministry, and he said, son, notice how in scripture, Jesus is always going to pray early in the morning. But then what does he do during the day? He spends time with the people. But after an exhausting day with people, what does he do? Late at night, goes to be with his father. And over and over, you see this DNA web form where he's going to be with God, he's with the people, but he know he can't, Jesus couldn't be sustained without going to the presence of his father. In Exodus 19, 14, right before we see Moses receive the 10 commandments from God himself, we see this happen. So after Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them, and he washed their clothes. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> this year, over and over and over, we've been washing our clothes, we've been washing our hands, we've been putting sanitizer on, anything we can do to make ourselves 
clean. And Jesus shows us the DNA of life to spend time with God and then spend time with people. Personal consecration draws the favor of God. Do you want more favor? If you will deepen, God will broaden. If you will deepen, God will broaden. If you will deepen your consecration and relationship with God, he will draw you into every place that you are supposed to go. And sometimes in life, we're not called to grab a microphone. But we are called to grab a shovel. And so many times in life, we go a inch deep and a mile wide, and we do so much to try and expand our influence, to network with the right people. Maybe we try to network on LinkedIn or face-to-face with people, and we spread ourselves so thin, maybe we say yes to every event, yes to every business opportunity. Maybe it's just meaningless stuff. Maybe it's too, too much time on Netflix or too much TV or whatever it is, in your life, what if you grabbed a shovel? You know, I don't really like, you probably know this from my first story, I don't really love shovels. Because if you start digging, you know how long it takes to do something? It's like this should have been done already. How long is this going to take? Digging can be monotonous sometimes. But if you will deepen your relationship with God and you will spend the necessary time in his presence, he will broaden you. He will send you to every area of your life that you need to. He will bring the right relationships to you that you need if you deepen. God will broaden. If you go deep with God, God will go broad and you won't miss it. You'll make it. So keep the main thing, the main thing. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now let's talk about loving people. About eight years ago, I became a uh, youth pastor and I'd been working for it. I'd been volunteering for it for a number of years. And I still remember the call. I was uh, sitting at my uh, previous job and, and Pastor Joel called me. And he told me, he was at a new campus, a new church. He said, Brandon, he's like, I got a full-time spot for you. You're gonna be my youth director. And I expressed so much doubt to him face-to-face about four months uh, before, because I'm like, you're leaving, da-da-da-da. What's going on here? And he's like, Brandon, I will prepare a place for you. (laughs) And I was like crying, no, you won't. (laughs) Not really, I don't think I was that childish. But I remember he called me, he told me the good news. He said, Brandon, didn't I tell you this was going to happen? I said, yes, sir, you did. And I remember my first year or two of being a youth pastor, and I remember how horrible I was. How much time it took me to get my feet under me and do the right thing, to be with these kids needed, to partner with parents and raising their kids and pastoring their kids but I remember about a couple years in, I started feeling pretty good, and, and I had a new uh, boss um, from our central campus, and he was coming over on this day uh, a number of years ago, and he said, Brandon, he texted me, he said, hey, I'm, I'm coming uh, to McKinney uh, on Sunday. I was like, great, awesome. 
So what do you do if you hear that your boss is coming? I'm gonna make sure everything goes right, right? The worship was on point, the media team, everything was executed flawless when the day came. And I was so pleased with how everything turned out. Huge leader turnout, great service. And two days later, me and him went to a coffee shop. And he got his vanilla latte and I got my double espresso and we sat down, looked at one another, we started shooting the breeze. He said, Brandon, he said, I wanna talk about Sunday. He's like, Brandon, service is great. Your message was inspiring. You had a ton of leaders, great engagement. He said, Brandon, there's one thing that's concerning to me. He said, I didn't see you talk to one student. He said, Brandon, we're doing this for them. He said, it's not about this stage ministry. He said, Brandon, this isn't the scope of ministry. Ministry is loving people. And like a dagger to the heart, I heard those words. (laughs) But it changed my life. Because ever since then, I've been working and growing and reminding myself that life is all about the people. Life is all about people. See, if this life and being on earth was all about just you getting close to God, in my opinion, you could do that a whole lot easier in heaven. (laughs) But you're called to love people too. And over the scope of time, over the rest of our existence, we got to expand his kingdom. We got to love the people that he's placed in our lives Loving God is equally, loving God is important, but loving people is equally important. I would go as far to say this, how you love people is the reflection of how you love God. And if you want to check or take a maturity test on how you're doing with your relationship with God, look at how you treat people. The second richest man to ever live was John D. Rockefeller behind only King Solomon in today's currency, he would have been worth $663 billion. I've read an autobiography on him, and he wasn't like this great people person, for chance, very quiet, um, really uh, excellent, kind of by the book, ran his business. But he had this to say about people skills. He said, the ability to deal with people is as purchasable a commodity as sugar and coffee. And I will pay more for that ability than any under the sun. You want to make it in life? Love people. Care for people. Listen to people. Invest in people. You might look back at me and say, Brandon, I'm not a people person. Let me tell you this about being a people person. You don't have to be talkative, funny, or have this massive personality to be a people person. That's the common misperception. All you have to do to be a people person is just love people. You know who people wanna be around? Someone that's interested in them. (laughs) Someone who listens to them. This is so much easier than we make it. It's an acquired trait, but anyone has the ability to acquire it. How can we be better at loving people? I'm sure there's a hundred things. Today I'll just list three and I'll start to close. Number one, treat them like you would want to be treated. 
So profound. So deep, Brandon. Wow. Treat them like you would want to be treated. Matthew 7, 12 says, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. So how should we treat people? Here's my philosophy. We treat normal people like kings. And we treat kings like normal people. We treat kings like normal people, but we treat normal people like kings. Everybody we come in contact with, we treat them like they're someone that we admire, someone that we respect, someone that we want to emulate. See, that's the difference between respect and honor. Respect is, hey, I'm gonna treat you the right way because I look up to you. Honor is all about, it's all about I'm going to honor you because I am honorable. You don't have to be honorable to me for me to be honorable to you. And honor is not just about, hey, I'm gonna honor those above me. No, Paul said, honor everyone. Give honor to all people. Number two, give mercy, not judgment. Have you noticed that we tend to judge other people by their actions and ourselves by our intentions? (laughs) What if we started giving people the benefit of a doubt? Jesus said in Matthew 7, 1, do not judge others and you will not be judged. One of our founding fathers, Benjamin Franklin, was horrible with people in his youth, so tactless as a young person. But over time, and as he grew and developed and aged, he became so diplomatic that at the end of the Revolutionary War, he was our American ambassador to France. He, he was our number one people person. And one day, towards the end of his life, somebody asked him, Benjamin, what's the secret to your success? He said, I will speak ill of no man, and I will speak all the good I know of everybody. See, any fool can criticize. Any fool can condemn. Any fool can complain. And most fools do. But it takes character and it takes self-control to be understanding and forgiving. How many of you know that a great man shows his greatness by how he treats the little people in his life? How do we treat all the people in our lives? If God himself waits to the end of days to judge people, why should you and I start now? If he's waiting till the end and he hasn't judged any of us, who are you and me to start before he does? Number three, listen without preparing an answer. This is gold. (laughs) Listen, far too many people don't listen when people talk. And when you talk, you are only repeating what you know. But if you listen, you may learn something new. Here's the truth of it. If you listen longer than most people listen, you'll hear things most people never hear. I had a teacher when I was a senior in high school and she was new to the school and I'd been at the school for a number of years and she came in, and, and she was very intellectual. Uh, she almost liked to debate sometimes. She was our English teacher, a Bible teacher. And uh, I was a little Pharisee at 18. Uh, thought I could do no wrong. And I remember she'd be talking and teaching in Bible, and I would start preparing an answer. Like, just wait, man. Like, I have the greatest thing to say to you. I was such an arrogant little kid. And, and I went to this, and I remember hearing something about this, to actually listen to people. And I realized as an 18-year-old, Brandon, 
I've been doing it all wrong. What if I started to listen to her? And I totally changed my attitude. I changed the way I converse with people. And I started to listen to what she had to say. She became not only one of my favorite teachers that year, but one of my favorite teachers ever. All because of listening. Now when people ask, Brandon, what do you think about what I just said? I have to keep thinking because I haven't been forming an answer anymore. I'm like, well, now that you asked, let me think about it. And sometimes I won't know the answer because I will have to think about it. Listen without preparing a reply. I'll close with this and then a story. Zig Ziglar said, if you go looking for a friend, you're going to find they're very scarce. But if you go out to be a friend, you will find them everywhere. It was a man named David Livingston who was born in Great Britain in the year 1813. In 1836, he went to medical school. And then he also applied to the LMS, to the London Missionary Society, because he wanted to be a medical missionary in his life. He wanted to leave England. He wanted to go be a missionary and help people that he'd never even met before. In the year 1840, when he was 27 years old, he met a man named Robert Moffat. And Robert told David as he was on leave from being a missionary and back home in Great Britain of these countries where no man, how no missionary has ever been to South Africa and there's a smoke of a thousand villages. He's like, David, someone's gotta go there. And it compelled David. Robert compelled David. So much so that David actually married Robert's daughter, Mary. And in 1970, excuse me, on November 17th, 1840, he started the trek from Great Britain to South Africa with his new wife, Mary, and he went 700 miles deep into South Africa in the jungles and the terrain where people had, not a lot of people had been. And he started preaching to people he'd never met. He started practicing medicine on all the people that needed it. For 31 years, he found 43 different kinds of fruit. He stumbled across the widest known waterfall on earth, Victoria Falls. And as amazing as that sounds, you know there were times in his life he's like, I'm not even succeeding at this. His own missionary society pooled their funding. He ran out of money. He lived like one of the villagers. And in 1871, he died of malaria and internal bleeding. And the people in Great Britain, upon hearing of his death, requested his body so that they could give this great man of God a proper burial. And the villagers sent back a reply, you can have his body, but we're keeping his heart. His heart belongs in Africa. And they surgically removed his heart out of his body and buried it in Southern Africa. And the villagers themselves took his body to England. You can have his body, but we are keeping his heart. I love what the Apostle John said. He said, God is love. In Genesis, we find that God created us in his image. If you're made like God, then you are made to love. And it really is that simple. That is what life is all about. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus. We hope this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. 
On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks again for listening and have a great week.